Would you stand with me as we read the, from the Word of God, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 11, reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. And notice that the subtitle in my King James Bible says, Do not sue the brethren. Do not sue the brethren. That is the subject, and we're going to look at the details of this uh, as we go along. Notice that Paul uh, writes this letter to the, to the Corinthians about 53, 54, 55 A.D. He is at the tail end of his ministry, his three-year ministry in Ephesus. And so in Ephesus, Asia Minor, he writes this letter and shoots it over to the Greeks in Corinth. And this is what he says under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are of least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Amen. What a great text of Scripture, but do you see the passion? You can't miss the passion, can you? And I, uh, I, I want to emphasize uh, from the get-go that what this is talking about is misidentity dysfunction. There was dysfunction in the Corinthian church, right? Uh, but the reason why there was dysfunction in the, in the Corinthian church was because the church themselves, the Corinthians themselves, had a misunderstanding of their identity in Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to see as we unpack this text is the reality that when Christians do not have a proper sense of their own identity in Christ, it always leads to dysfunctional behavior, doesn't it? Did you catch that? Misidentity leads to dysfunctional behavior in the body of Christ. And so that's what we want to catch is that full grasp uh, of what Paul is doing. And, and uh, you know, I thought about how do, how do you preach this text? The best way is to simply walk right through it. Here we go. So I want you to note, first of all, apostolic outrage. 
apostolic outrage in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And it says this, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Now, the, word, the first word in the original text of Scripture in the Greek is the word just like we find it in the New King James. What is that first word? Talk to me. It is the word dare, dare. And, 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 and the New King James translation here perfectly brings out uh, the outrage of the Apostle Paul. Dare any of you, having a matter against one another, go before the unrighteous and not before the saints. Have any of you ever said, how dare you say that to me? Uh, I remember as a little uh, boy, um, my mother saying that several times. How dare you? Uh, I asked Bishop if there was anything uh, that Puerto Ricans tend to say in a particular way. And he said, no, we say it basically the same way. How dare you? Uh, and, and I love that. You know, I said, hey, let's get some cultural sense here. Uh, but the reality is, is, is Paul is experiencing apostolic outrage so much for gentle Jesus, meek and mild, right? So, so much for pastors always being nice and sweet and calm. There are times when we are nice, not very nice, not very sweet, and not very calm. And there were times when the Apostle Paul was absolutely outraged. And this is one of them. Uh, now, I, I've got to say a couple of things because the main point is that what was happening in the church is there was an issue between Christians, right? Was a, think of the body of Christ. It's very, very practical. And, 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 and one Christian in the church had a problem with somebody else. They had defrauded them. They had swindled them. They had cheated them in the body of Christ. Is that a bad thing? Of course. It's a bad thing that somebody in the church takes advantage of another Christian. We hope that never happens. Don't raise your hand if that has happened to you. I mean, we know today that there are many people in churches as they say, are you a part of a church? And they say, no, I'm done with the church. I was hurt, I was offended, and I was probably offended by another Christian, so I am done with the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and the reality is we do hurt each other, sometimes intentionally and sometimes not intentionally. I've done both uh, and, and been forgiven for that. But the reality is the church is a body of believers. We're saints, right? But, but, but we're a hospital. We're not perfect people. We're sinner saints. And so we will sin against one another, and that was going on in the church of Corinth. Notice that this was about a financial matter here, and it, it, it's terrible that there was an issue between Christians in the church. Paul's major point is, should we not, if we have issues of this nature, Christian to Christian in the body of Christ, should we not have the ability to resolve those issues in the family? And the answer is, Yes, a resounding yes. The church, and, and, and I love, uh, we have young people here today, so glad you're here. There is no perfect church. And my father-in-law said, when you become a pastor, don't join a perfect church because you'll ruin it. <laughs> There's no such thing as a perfect church. We're sinners, saints, and you'll get hurt. And so, young people, as you are raised within the church, need to understand, this is a great church, but there's not a perfect church. And you may get hurt at some point, but we can resolve 
our differences where? Here. We ought to be able to do that. Now, I want you to notice why this is so important. Notice this picture of ancient Corinth that we have here. This is a picture of ancient Corinth. I was there in 2019, and this is the main uh, uh, area of, of, of commerce called the Agora or the marketplace. Now, you say there's nothing there. That's true. The buildings have been knocked down. But notice, notice those little slits in there. Those were businesses. This is the main business center, uh, what we would call a strip mall, perhaps. All these different businesses were along this area, and this is one of the main pathways. Now, notice something that's very important. About right here, you see uh, these two pillars here, and in that area is what is called the Bema seat, the, 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 the judgment seat. In this area, right in the midst of all of the commerce, that's where the judges would sit to conduct business. So, if a Christian is taking a Christian before a judge, where is he doing this? Right out in front of Publix. Can you picture that? Can you picture taking a brother or sister to court, and that court is in right in front of the Publix, and everybody's walking by? One thing we misunderstand about the ancient world, and that is this. The ancient world had very little privacy. Very little privacy. You have far more privacy today than you could ever imagine. But the ancient world, everybody knew what everybody else was doing. And that's why Paul is so outraged that a Christian is taking another Christian to court because where are they doing it? In front of everybody. In front of the pagans that they have been sent to Corinth to reach Christians. And how many Christians were there? I'm not sure at this point in time. Uh, 53, 54 A.D., 50, 60, 70, 80 Christians. Maybe 100, but they were a minority in the city trying to win this big, big city for Jesus Christ. And they were conducting uh, this in the midst of the world. And that's why, that's why this is such an important issue. Now, I've got to give another clarity here. Um, these were issues that could be handled in the church. Question, are there issues that we should not cover up and deal with in the church, but we have to deal with uh, with our governing authorities in a regular way? And the answer is yes, there are. 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, Romans 13 is talking about some of those issues. There are issues that the church of Jesus Christ has tried to cover up, and that has only led to problems. If there's issues of child abuse, or if there's a murderer, or if there's a major crime against the state, those things cannot be covered up by the church, but have to be dealt with with the proper authorities out there. Do you understand the difference? It's very important I understand that, but there are many issues that we should settle in-house here, and that's what Paul is talking about. And so this dysfunction comes because the Corinthians had forgotten who they were. Who are they? They are the deeply beloved, redeemed sons and daughters of the Most High God. They are the children of Messiah, the King. They have forgotten their identity that though they are few in number, they are the people on whom 
the whole world has come to rest. The gospel has come to rest upon him, upon us. And we tend to forget who we are in Christ. Dial back with me. Remember when Paul uh, was converted to Christ on the road to Damascus? You remember that story in Acts chapter 9? He's going, he's going to Damascus to arrest Christians. He wants to get those suckers, throw them in prison, because these Christians, these Christians are defaming the God of Israel, in his opinion. Paul is full of holy Torah in his head and in his heart. He is a man that is completely given to the Old Testament way, to the way that the Israelites are the true people of God. And then on the road to Damascus, he is stopped dead in his tracks. And what are those words? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And what does Saul say? Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus, who you persecute. Paul, in that moment, has a realization that absolutely rocked his world. Do not ever think that Paul converted from one religion to the other. He didn't. He didn't convert from one religion to the other. He had a realization that the one religion that he was pursuing with all of his heart and mind and soul was the true religion, but that Jesus was the fulfillment, the Messiah, and he had come. It says in the book of Galatians that after this account, when he regained his sight, what, what happened? He said, I didn't consult with flesh and blood. I went away where? He went to where? Anybody remember? He went to Arabia. He, I didn't go to the apostles. I didn't go talk to them. I went to Arabia. What's in Arabia? Mount Sinai is in Arabia. What did Paul do? He went back to the very point of the Ten Commandments where they were given. Paul went back to the very point, and he realized because he had this earth-shaking experience meeting Messiah. The king had come, and he went back to where the king met the Israelites and gave them holy Torah. And Paul realized holy Torah has been fulfilled. The Messiah has come. And now the gospel message goes not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. And so Paul, the apostle, has a whole new calling, a whole new realization that the gospel, the good news of salvation and Messiah is fulfilled. Messiah has come. And the Corinthians, the Corinthians are those Gentile converts who have been folded in to the larger body of Christ under King Messiah, Jesus. And they have forgotten who they are. They don't know who they are. Had they understood this true reality, if we would truly understand our true identity as the sons and daughters of the Most High God, as the, as the followers of Messiah, it will affect our behavior. 
because we will recognize that though we may be small in numbers, we are influential in terms of our position in the world, just like the Corinthians. And that's why Paul is so outraged. And so uh, the first point was apostolic outrage. The second point follows on to that. Say it with me. What's the second point? Spiritual insanity. Spiritual insanity because of Paul's outrage over that. Notice what he does. I'm just going to walk through these verses really quickly. Uh, I mean, I have another hour to preach if I'm going to keep up with uh, Bishop. But in verse 2, it says this, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? He says, you've forgotten your identity. Do you not know that we the saints, and the word saint means holy one, right? Not holy because of what we've achieved, but holy because of what Jesus has achieved. Uh, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Do you not know? uh, And Did the Corinthians not know this? Well, maybe they didn't know that. Maybe they didn't know that that Christians would be a part and parcel of judging the world. In Matthew uh, 19, verse 28, it's interesting, after Peter uh, said to Jesus, and Peter, don't you love Peter? Always walked into a mouth, a room mouth first. Um, Peter says, Lord, we've left everything for you. He's just trying to remind Jesus how much he served Jesus. And, and, and Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, what Jesus did say to the apostles is, you will help me judge the world. What he didn't say back then, but what Paul brings out right here in our text for today, is that not only will the disciples judge the world, but we, who are God's people, will be a part of the final judgment. Would you let that sink in? Would you let it sink in that you and I are co-heirs with Christ? Would you let it sink in that we are co-judges with Christ. Now, is that, is that a major reality for us to understand? If we are going to judge the world in the future, Paul is saying, should we not be able to solve some of the issues within the family? Answer? Yes, absolutely, we should. That's where he's going with this. Um, uh, and, and so he says in verse 3, do you not know that we shall judge the angels? Are you kidding me? How much more the things that pertain to this life. Angels are the highest created beings of God, and we will judge them. Do you believe that? you got to believe it because it's in the Word of God. Are you the co-heirs of Christ? The answer is yes. Are you the co-judgers with Christ? Yeah, not now, but in the future. And it's important to us to understand our high and holy calling and identity in Jesus Christ. Verse 4, if then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed to be judges in the church? What are you, nuts? Are you crazy? That's spiritual insanity. That's the Apostle Paul at... uh, getting freaked out. It's in the original text in a footnote there. He's freaked out. And then in verse 5, he says something that should shock us a little bit. I say this to your shame. Notice earlier in in the book of 1 Corinthians, he says, I'm not here to shame you. But here, here, he wants the shame to sink in. Is shame a powerful force, brothers and sisters? Boy, I tell you, I grew up in a home where there was a lot of shame, and it was not a positive thing. 
and the gospel of Jesus Christ undoes the shame, right? And, and, that's, and that's important for us to understand. But sometimes our sin is so horrendous that it leads to shame, and that shame should get our attention. He's trying to get their attention. You guys are so much more important than you think you are, and yet you're bringing pagans into the, into the church to make decisions between you. That's ridiculous. That's spiritual insanity. Um, <clears throat> Actually, this is what I sound like after I watch the news in the evening. Uh, Verse 7, therefore, it's already an utter failure for you that you go to law with one another. And then he gives some suggestions. Well, what do we do? You can imagine what the average person is saying. What do I do if my brother in the church or my sister in the church has defrauded me of real money? And if you hadn't noticed, inflation is here. We got problems. I got bills to pay, and somebody just took advantage of me. And what Paul says, well, um, why do you not rather accept the wrong? Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? Now, does that sound like the American way? No, it doesn't. But does it sound like the Christian way? It really did, because what did Jesus do for us? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so here, here what Paul is saying to the Corinthians is when you understand your identity as the Messiah's children, you won't let this spiritual insanity sink in and affect us because we are the Messiah's people. Who are you? You are the Messiah's people. You are the people of God. Do you know who you are? Do I know who I am? Do I forget who I am? I do. If I forget that I am the deeply beloved, redeemed son of Messiah, then I forget who I am out there and I forget who I am with you. And I will probably treat you poorly. Because if I don't remember that I'm the Messiah's kid, I will think that life is all about me. It's not. It's not. And so that's why Paul has such outrage and and why he goes in-depth in talking about this spiritual insanity. But that leads to the third point as he walks us through that text. You ready? Say it with me. What's the third point? Congregational warning. Congregational warning. This text never made sense to me until I really understand it in the flow uh, of this argument and how outraged and uptight the Apostle Paul is. Uh, So this is what he says next. He says, verse 9, do you not know, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither. And then he lists this list that the world hates us for. I mean, you know, if you ever wanted to prove a text on any one of the major sins that is rampant in America today, here it is. He says, do you not know uh, that fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God? And such were some of you. Why does he give this? Why is this text? This text is given as a warning. Now, Paul the Apostle is the one who talked, and Bishop and I have a lot of 
conversations about the whole issue of election and predestination and all of that, and uh, we go back and forth on that. But you can't miss that Paul the Apostle is the one who talked about the election of Israel and the election of the saints, right? Okay, it's there. It's there. It's in Scripture. But now this, where he says to the people who are Christians, do you not know that if you do these sins, if this is a part of your life, if this is who you are, you can't inherit the kingdom of God? What is this? It's a warning. It's a warning. And later at the very end of 2 Corinthians, he will say something like this to the Corinthians. He will say, test yourself. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Is it possible for us to go to church and look very much like Christians? Yep, yep, it is. And that's what we talk to guys about all the time in our ministry at Forge. Uh, We talk about the fact you, you can find out what translation of the Bible you're supposed to carry in any particular church. This church, it's the New King James Version. Did I have the right translation today? Yes, I did. Not in the past, but I did today. Can I figure out your language? And in, in what are the what are the the catchwords around core faith church? I've known Bishop a long time. I, I know a lot of the catchwords. Um, can, can I act like I'm a Christian? Can I fake it pretty good? Sure, I can. It's 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 our behavior that begins to show who we are over the long haul. And that's why this is such an egregious sin that the Apostle Paul says to them. Some of you were this way. You're not this way anymore. Don't live this way. And so he ends with this uh, incredible challenge. Uh, and, and, and the fourth point, I told you I wasn't going to speak as long as Bishop did last week. We're already on the last point. Are you ready to go? Um, but actually, before I get to that last point, let me say this. In case you who are here or you who are listening online may never, ever have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because one of the most powerful things is that we are not the church. We are not perfect, are we? Do we draw people to ourselves? No. We draw people to Jesus. Because it is Jesus who has freed us and who has taken the condemnation away from us, right? Uh, Paul says in Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But some of us were just like the Corinthians. We were all of these things. And, and, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we've been brought to the end of ourselves, haven't we? We've confessed our sins. Nobody I know ever confesses their sin unless the Holy Spirit is at work in their life. That's the only way we can do it. The only way we come and bow the knees before Jesus is because the Spirit of God has convicted us of our sins. Um, and, and, and the reality is if you don't know Jesus, or if somebody watching us doesn't know Jesus, you can be freed from sin's condemnation. But on top of that, sin's control. Sin kills us. You ask these people who are fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, are they happy? Is their life qualitatively better because they're doing sin? And the answer is no. And that the true desire of of a person's heart where the Spirit of God is working is, I want to get free. I want to get free from sin's control. And so in the gospel, we see that like these Corinthians, such were some of us, and we are free. Praise God, we are free. And we don't have to sin anymore in these ways. We still do sin. We confess our sins. But listen, we don't sin in the ways we used to sin as much, right? Are you better than you used to be? Of course. 
of course, because God the Holy Spirit has done His work uh, in your life, just like in the Corinthians. And so this warning to them in, in verses 6, 9 through 10 is just that. It's a warning. Guys, this sin of not uh, dealing with each other properly in the church is a big sin, just like these other sins. All right, now for the last point. Uh, I think we're ready to go. Uh, our, our, our last point is this. Say it with me. Challenge is to live as Messiah's people. The Messiah's people. 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 11. He says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Brothers and sisters, the big lesson for us today is to understand how when we don't have our identity clarified in our minds as who we are as Messiah's children, as the disciples of the risen Savior Jesus Christ, if we don't understand who we are as those who upon the end of the ages have fallen, then our behavior gets dysfunctional. It gets sinful toward one another. And so the Apostle Paul uh, challenges us to remember our identity. And our identity is that we are those who are the washed ones. We have been washed with the blood of the Lamb of God. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've been washed. You are no longer dirty. And it's important for us to understand, like the Corinthians needed to remember that they are not just tolerated by God, but they are the washed ones. They are the ones that are, uh, in fact, sanctified. They are holy in their position before God. They are, they are not seen as dirty. How do you view yourself as a Christian? Well, God loves me, but he kind of has to because that's what God does. That God kind of puts up with me. Um, that, 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 well, you know, really, I'm not that high and holy and lifted up. You don't know me. You don't know what I think. No, I don't. Um, but the reality is, is that who we are inside needs to continue to, to pervade our inner hearts so that it cleanses and pushes out the sins. When you have those thoughts that I sometimes have that are not right thoughts, to remember that we are the washed ones. We are the sanctified ones. We are the justified ones. In other words, legally, before the God of the universe, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, He declares you not guilty. Not guilty. And so when the evil one says to you, you don't belong, you say, yes, I do. When the evil one tries to convince you that you're the unwashed and the dirty, you say, no, I am the washed. I've sinned, but I'm the washed ones. And Lord Jesus, I come running back to you. Uh, Christians repent all the time. We confess our sins all the time. And we know that our position before God will never change in all time and eternity. We know practically we still sin. right? But that doesn't change our position before the God of the universe. We are washed. We are sanctified. We are justified by the power of the work of Jesus Christ through His Spirit in our life. That is the identity 
that we are to keep in mind. That's what rocked the Apostle Paul and why he's so outraged uh, that he wants these Greek Christians to remember they've been folded in to the Jewish people of God. And I don't know if we have any Jews here today. I don't think so. I think the rest of us are all Gentiles. Right? You Gentiles. You're in the body of Christ. You are in the people of God. The precious people of the Messiah. And so let me just end by reading how the Apostle Peter put it. So that we could leave here today remembering our great identity in Christ. 1 Peter uh, verse 13 says this. Therefore. I don't think I have this written for you anywhere. You just got to listen. 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Therefore, Peter was what? Ethnicity? He was Jewish. Jewish. Peter and Paul agree. Peter says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to your former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Isn't that the same thing that Paul has been saying? Yeah. In verse 17, if you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things, like silver or gold from the feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have in purified your souls in obedience to the truth for a sincere love of the brothers and sisters. Don't defraud one another, right? Fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. Now, 1 Peter 2 verse 9. But you, I want you to take this to heart, okay? But you, Core Faith Church, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Brothers and sisters, these are words that were given to Jews and Gentiles who are part of the now Messiah family. That's all of us. You're a holy nation, a holy priesthood, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Claim your high status in Jesus Christ. Paul and Peter would say the same thing. Claim your high status. Never let anybody demean you. Remember that you, remember that you, though small in numbers, right? Christians, are, we're the true minorities in America today. We're relatively Bible-believing, Jesus-focused believers. We're the minority in America today. But remember, though, that we are small in numbers. 
We are the ones that God wants to use to bring the good news of Messiah to the rest of the world. The king has come, and the message comes through, through us. Uh, always let your high status determine your behavior toward one another. Uh, always grow in wisdom and godliness, as I seek to do too at my advanced stage of life, that we could be resources to help the church of Jesus Christ become holy and blameless in his sight to the glory of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have set up this plan in such a powerful way to bring us as Gentiles and Jews into one family that you have fulfilled the gospel promise that a Messiah would come, that he has come, and that until he comes again, we would be your godly people, making a difference in this city and in this community for your honor and praise. We lift up this church. We lift up ourselves, thanking you that we are washed, we are sanctified, we are justified because of your work, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Brother, come forward.